Welcome to the Transition Bridge Podcast, the podcast that will help you embrace, grow, and be transformed by the transitions of life. Now here's your host, Debbie Ronka. Welcome everyone, and I'm so grateful for you coming in each and every week to join me to hear another transition story. I know each time I hear my guest stories, I walk away with a new perspective. I walk away with a deeper inspiration and even a stronger mindset for myself, for my own life. And I hope this is the same for you. My guest today, Jazzy Wilson, is here with us to share her powerful story of what she experienced as a result of life-threatening illnesses that plagued her and her ultimate courageous breakthrough to a life that is full of promise, hope, and a vibrant business. Jazzy was born in St. Louis and spent most of her life traveling the world with her family, first in the military and then on the Christian mission field. In the early 2000s, she lived in the jungles of Peru at the headwaters of the Amazon with her missionary family. And in her time there, she learned to speak Spanish. She even played a brief spot in a Peruvian television series and welcomed her Peruvian brother and sister into the family. After several years of life-threatening epilepsy and undergoing successful brain surgery in the summer of 2020, she looks forward to her future with excitement. Following this pivotal time in her life, she feels confident in the ability to found and nurture a growing business. Jazzy spent five wonderful years working for Virginia Muskies, the regional director of BNI in St. Louis and the CEO of Master Connectors. While with Virginia, she acquired a subject matter expertise in podcast management and marketing. Today, Jazzy is the CEO of Premier Podcast Promotions, and she offers an extensive menu of services for podcast management that provides a tailored experience for her clients. In her free time, Jazzy enjoys participating in mud runs, taking her dog to visit friends and family, honing her drawing skills, and spending time with her nine brothers and sisters. Well, Jazzy, welcome. Welcome to the Transition Bridge podcast. Debbie, thank you so much. It is so great to be here. I've been listening to your podcast and all the stories are extremely encouraging and I love listening to them and I really appreciate you having me on to share my story. Oh, well, it's an honor to have you with me today. And after reading what you've endured, the life-changing events with your health and to be able to sit here today really is miraculous. And I know there's so much you want to share with us. So why don't you just share your story and take us from the beginning? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, well, <laughs> the beginning, I guess, is, you know, kind of like you read in my bio, um, both of my parents are now retired military, but they were in the military my whole life growing up. And I'm so proud to say that, you know, that was never my calling. And so I appreciate what they did and all the work they did being in the military and how hard that was for them. And when my dad got out of the military, he actually switched courses and went to be a Baptist preacher. So he did that and he was preaching at churches all over the place. And that's when he decided he felt called to be a missionary in Peru. And he, we all went with him, you know, um, myself. And I think at the time I had seven siblings, 
Oh my. And so we all kind of up and went to Peru and we were there for four years and it, I wouldn't change it for anything. I've gotten to see so much of the world that nobody ever has that kind of opportunity. And we got to go deep into the jungles of Peru where people didn't even speak Spanish. They didn't speak English. They didn't have running water and see what those people lived like and just bring the word of God to them. And that's, that's an experience I would not trade for anything in the world. Oh my gosh. That's like another whole story. I'd love to hear about <laughs> how is. old were you when you went to Peru? Um, I had my 10th birthday shortly after we got there. Oh, so young. Okay. Yeah. That's incredible. Well, first, I, before we even move on, I want to thank your parents for their military service. I think that's fascinating. And I so appreciate the sacrifices that your family has made for our country. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. I will pass that on to them. Great. Um, so after we came back from Peru, uh, we, so I had my older brother and I had been homeschooled our whole lives. And when we came back, our lives changed. My mom was not in the military anymore. My dad was not in the military anymore. So she decided to go ahead and send us to public school. Another huge, crazy transition life change for all of us. Yes. From the <laughs> um, jungles to public school. <laughs> um, but thankfully I instantly met some really great friends and they kind of helped me make the transition really well. And those friends have stood by me uh, till today. We're still friends. And I think that's a big mm. part of all of these changes and all these big things that have mm -hmm. happened to me. That's what's really helped, you know, having that support system and those friends that are always there and I can always count on to be there. Yeah. Community is so critical, isn't it? Absolutely. In good times and in tough times, you know, we need, we need community to rejoice in and with, and also have someone we can cry with at times. So that's beautiful to hear. Yes, absolutely. And so being in um, the jungles, um, where at what stage of your life did the epilepsy step in? So that was in high school. Okay. So my freshman year of high school, I was in a car accident. Mm. And it was a pretty bad car accident. I was in the ICU for a couple of weeks. And um. I actually, it was it's all thanks be to God that I even came out of the ICU. The doctors told me that I was not going to live, that I, if I did live, that I would be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life, probably unable to, that my, I would never have full brain capacity again. Oh, what a devastating diagnosis for your family as well yeah. to hear that. Yeah. So Were you aware of what the doctor said? No, this is ever, I was told all of this later. I don't okay. remember most of being in the ICU and I don't remember the car accident. Oh my. So these are all things I've been told. <laughs> Very traumatic. Yeah. So that was of course hard. You know, I woke up in the hospital and didn't know where I was or what was going on. Um, and then was told this, that they didn't expect me to wake up and that they did not expect me to recover but I was in the ICU for a couple of weeks and then they let me go home. They just let you go home to eventually pass away or? No, I've, I've got well enough that I was allowed to go home and I was on some restrictions. They didn't want me to go back to school. They didn't want me to uh, do any physical activity, which was kind of disheartening for me because I'd always you know, having two parents in the military that worked out a lot. Um, my health was really important to me. I worked out with my mom a lot and my older brother 
Um, I ran with my mom a lot. I still do. And so that was, mm-hmm. you know, okay, now I can't go to school. I can't work on my health. What can I do? Um, so that was a really hard time for me. I, it was hard to find things I was allowed to do. And I didn't feel like myself. <laughs> were you confined to bed or were you, um, were you able to walk? You know, what was happening? Because what the doctor said seemed so devastating. And now you're home. Are you mobile? Are, are you able to move around? I was mostly mobile. I was having really terrible migraines and headaches, almost so bad some days that I could not get out of bed. So mm. I was not restricted to the house or restricted to bed, but doctors really wanted me to listen to how I was feeling and be extremely careful because they didn't really want me to go home, but they didn't have any reason to keep me either. Um, so for the next two years, I was extremely careful. I was in bed a lot. I could hardly do any of the things I normally used to do. I, I'm an avid reader. I've always read. My whole family reads a lot. We go through books like crazy, but it was extremely hard for me to get through books. I was not reading like normal. Mm. And I would usually get a headache if I tried to read too long. So it was extremely hard. It felt like all of my hobbies and everything I used to do and love to do, I could no longer do. So you probably felt like you were a completely different person. Like, did you feel like this was going to be your new normal? Absolutely. It, it really felt like I was going to have to try and learn to be this new person and that this was going to be my life, living with headaches and living with days that I couldn't get out of bed. And I cried a lot. I was extremely depressed, but thankfully my siblings and I all still lived at home. Well, not all of us, but most of my siblings still lived at home. And, um, I have six sisters. And so (laughs) I, they helped me a lot. You know, they were there for me and we talked a lot. We cried a lot. And Mm. I, that really helped me get through it. Well, I know when I read your story, you know, you did experience a deep depression and and I could totally understand that because you were, seemed so vibrant. Here you are in the jungles doing like incredible things going around the world. And then your world became very small it just became like it just changed literally changed as a result of the loss of health and i think one of the most difficult transitions for us to go through is when we lose something the transitions of loss whether it's a relationship um a loved one and our health because without our health it we're not enabled to do the things that just seems so natural and easy to us. Yeah. There, there's this quote from Thomas Fuller that says, health is not valued until sickness comes. And I think yeah. that resonated with me. We just Absolutely. take our health for granted. And now here you are, you're fighting every day to even find a measure of health to do the simple of, of things. So that had to be a devastating time for you and your family. And I know you talked about like a, a deep depression and even times where, you know, and I can appreciate even suicidal thoughts mm-hmm. where the, can you, can you share a little bit about that? Because I, I feel like a lot of people in our audience who are experiencing loss of health and so many things have changed are, have experienced the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So exactly what you said, I just felt 
kind of trapped, really. I wasn't allowed to drive. I wasn't allowed to work. I wasn't allowed to do any of the things that I felt were a big part of my personality. And it was really hard to find any reason to be happy. And so I think the only thing that kind of kept me going, um, I mean, really was my family. And I prayed, I became a big prayer. You know, I, we, we were missionaries. My dad was a Baptist preacher, but I was still struggling with where my faith was and mm-hmm. who I was with God. And after the first really, really deep, dark depression where I really thought, who am I? Why am I, why do I have this life? What am I doing here? And I really didn't feel like I wanted to be here, be in that place anymore. I really turned to God and started praying and just crying and praying all the time. And I think that made a huge difference because it really reminded me that, you know, God saved my life for a reason, you know, yes, the doctors really thought I wasn't going to make it. And it, God's the only reason I did. And so I knew he, he did that for a reason. And there had to be something that I was working towards that my life would get, get, get better. And again, I talked to my sisters about it all the time, you know, and they, they were, they were my rock, you know, they, they encouraged me and kept reminding me, Hey, you know, we love you. We don't care if you don't have a job. We don't care what you're doing. We, mm. we love you anyway. And that was, that made a huge difference. They took a lot of pressure off of you to perform. They you really know, we did. feel like, Oh my gosh, I need to be this, or I need to do that. And what I also hear in what you shared is your family really made the difference. And when we isolate so many times, when we do get depressed, we get sad, we isolate ourselves and we have no other voice speaking to us to bring us out of that depression. And so what would you say to the audience if there is about isolation and, and maybe how potentially that could be harmful? Well, I know not everyone is as close to their family as I am. Um, but there's another friend that I have that has stood by me and she has been my rock. And it's just, even if it's just that one person, you know, I've, I've had other days where I've still felt low and not wanted to reach out or talk to anybody. And the hardest thing is just that first message, just saying, hi, I'm having a bad day, you know, or, Hey, can we talk for a little while? Hey, do you have time for a five minute phone call? That's the best. Just, Hey, do you have five minutes? Where mm. I can just tell you about how bad my day has been. And just find that one person who always has five minutes for you. That's so beautiful. And I love how you approach that. Do you just have five minutes? Because sometimes that's just what we need. And we need to voice our pain. And there are people who want to listen. But if we don't know someone needs to talk, then the two never connect. Right. And so... I I think that that was great wisdom on your part to share, Jazzy, that just reaching out to make a phone call and say, do you have five minutes? I just need five minutes. And to awaken the compassion in other people, you know, to be there for each other. Yeah. And then it it helps. Part of the reason I do that is it helps me feel like I'm not being a burden because I'm only asking for five minutes. Mm. Surely everyone has five minutes. And then of course, well, usually when we get on the phone, the other person, my friend is usually like, I, you can talk as long as you want. You don't have, I'm not going to cut you off at five minutes, but then 
but I only asked for five minutes and if they need to go, it's only a five minute phone call. And that's, that helps me reach out without feeling like a burden. I like that. I think that's a good, good practice for all of us as we move forward that all of us have those kind of days where maybe we just need someone to hear. Yeah. Um, I know with my husband, sometimes there's something maybe that I'm going through and I say, you know, I just feel better when I speak it, when I share it, because then I, then I feel like it breaks the power off of me Yeah. that something that's holding my heart captive, that if I just speak it, it seems to lose the power. Yeah. And yeah, there's something powerful in sharing. So I'd love to hear, um, because one of my questions was, I know in times like this, our faith is challenged. And sometimes we can lose faith. You know, why God, you know, what is this all about? And it sounds like you found that place to fan the flame of your faith, just through simple prayer, like it didn't have to be complex. You just were real and vulnerable and, and prayed. And I, I loved hearing that. And it seemed like you had a vision, like you were, did you have some kind of focus or determination that there could be more? And is that how you approached each day? Like how, what would you say to yourself every day to keep going? Yeah. So I would say my vision at the time was just, you know, even if my brain was never going to heal that I would, I would do everything else, anything else I could do for myself. So, you know, get my body back to the point where I was healthy. What kind of diet was I eating? What workouts could I do? So I was doing a lot of yoga and just more gentle, soft things. And maybe if I don't have a job, that's okay. How can I help my family since I'm home all day? You know, can I help my siblings with their homework? What, how can I still feel helpful? And so those things really helped me feel productive again. And just, yeah, every day it was just, okay, how can I be 1% better? Okay. I don't, you know, I don't feel useless today because I helped my sister with her homework and I did a load of dishes or whatever it was to help out. So just reminding myself that, see, look at all these things you did do. Even though they're small, they were significant, right? Because you yeah. felt like you had, even in, in those small tasks, had some kind of purpose or impact on, on the day. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, So let me ask you this. So there was a point after your accident, then you got better. And did the seizures come later? Yes. So a couple years after my accident, my headaches started to go away. I started to feel normal and I got the okay from the doctor to kind of start living a more normal life again. And so I was able to drive. I was able to get a job and my life kind of started to go back to normal. I actually got a job at Planet Fitness. And so I was working there, which was great for me because then I could work out and get back on top of my health. And I it was going really great for a couple of years. And then kind of the seizures almost started out of nowhere. And wow. it, it took probably, it took about six months for the doctors to say, oh, well, this is a lasting side effect from the car accident. This is why it happened. This is why it took so long. And so it just, it, that was a really hard time because I had had a couple of months where I was really happy and really felt like my life was back on track. And then all of a sudden, oh, well, in the state of Missouri, when you have seizures, you're not allowed to drive. 
Oh goodness. So I had, I had actually gotten an apartment and I felt independent. And then when that happened, I had to move back in with my parents. I wasn't oh. allowed to drive. I played fitness was very good to me. They're like, you can keep your job, but we'll just have to be careful of your seizures, you know? Wow. So, that was huge that you got to stay there. Yeah. Um, so that was, that went Morning. on for about four or five years where I was having seizures and they got consistently worse until I was having about two or three seizures a week. Oh and my. I, that I got back to the point where I thought I was never going to be able to do anything. And mm. then I, I got severely depressed then. And I think the only reason I'm still here and still fighting is because I lived with my mom, my mom. I don't know what I would do without her. Aww. She has stood by me. She's taken me to all my doctor's appointments. She really supports me and really cares about me. And I think that's, that's a huge part of why I'm still here and why I continue to fight. Shout out to mom. I'll tell you, moms, you know, they, they give us the strength. They, they empty themselves out into our lives. So we could be better. Oh, I would love yeah. to meet your mom one day. She sounds amazing. She's pretty great. <laughs> well, you know, one, uh, just to uh, like imagine here you're feeling healthy. And again, like one of the symptoms, I guess, of a loss, transition of loss is that we're blindsided. We never see it come when we're not prepared. Some yeah. transitions in life, you know, we can, we know we're going to retire or we know we're going to become an empty nester and each has its own preparation. But sudden loss, like you just experienced again, here you were healthy, back on your feet. And now you're blindsided by seizures that not only took you back to where you were, but even further, because right. that sounded very debilitating and life-threatening because these seizures were pretty severe, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. And so at what point then does the brain surgery come into play? So after a couple of years where my doctor tried a bunch of different medications. At one point I was on five different medications to try to control my seizures that were doing all kinds of terrible things to my mental health and my physical health. Um, he just said, I, there's nothing, I can't do anything else. There's nothing else I can do for you. You're just going to have to learn to live with your seizures. Oh my. And I thought that's it. I, you know, I'm going to live with my mom the rest of my life. I'm going to be an old lady living with my mom. I'm not going to do anything. And then he came back and said, well, we can do brain surgery. Oh he, my. Said, I, he said, I, I have one other patient, one other patient who has seizures like yours in the same spot on his brain. And it was a successful surgery. He doesn't have seizures anymore. Wow. One particular spot in the brain is what triggers the seizures. Yeah. So, you know, I, of course I talked to my mom about it and I talked to everyone that I thought would have a good opinion on it that should know. And uh, we kind of decided that was the best thing because if there was a chance that I could live without those seizures, I, that was a chance I was willing to take. Because uh, these seizures were life threatening. I mean, they could have taken your life each time, correct? Yeah, they were, they were really bad. Mm. And most of the time it was, I would have a seizure and I would have to recover for an entire day after because uh. they were full grand mal seizures means I would actually like fall down and do the whole shaking seizure thing. Oh my. That's hard to witness as well. Yeah. Oh. 
So yeah, oh I did God. not leave the house a whole lot, you know, cause it was embarrassing too. I didn't want people to see me like that. And you never knew when the seizure would hit. So you right. really felt vulnerable. Absolutely. Um, and so, so you decided to move ahead with the brain surgery. Yeah. So we did the brain surgery and I, I haven't had a seizure since that was in June of 2020. And I, it's been amazing. Oh. I, you know, after the, after the brain surgery, I was in recovery and still couldn't drive and was supposed to stay home because we wanted to see if I was going to have any seizures, but I started to feel better a couple months after the brain surgery and I was ready to go. I was ready to do something. And that's kind of where Virginia comes in. I had already been doing a little bit of work for her because it was the only thing I could do sitting at home. Mm-hmm. And uh, she called me up and was like, Hey, are you, are you still going to work for me? Are we still going to work together? And, and so we did. And she's actually the one who got me started on podcasting and made me fall in love with it. And, encouraged me. She's like, I think you can do this. I think you'd be great at this. You should start a business doing this. And so about a year after my brain surgery, I, I decided to start a business. I, I I love this story because really you go from brain surgery and all, I mean, it's 2020, you had this surgery. So we're like just beginning 2024. And here you are with this vibrant business. I was going to ask you what drew you to podcasts because it's a, it's a unique uh, industry to get involved yeah. in. So tell us about that. I know Virginia was a big part of that. So tell our audience what you love about the podcast uh, industry and what specifically do you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I've been listening to podcasts forever. I think they're a great resource. You know, they're extremely encouraging. I love when I was still trying to figure out my faith and where I fit in with God. I listened to a really good couple of Christian podcasts and that kind of taught me how to pray and what to do. And so those really helped me out a lot. And I just love that there's a podcast out there on everything, whatever you need, you can find that information. And especially, you know, I'm, like I said, I read a lot, but when I'm listening to a podcast, I can kind of multitask. I think that's what kind of drew me to them. Whereas reading I don't really like audiobooks, which is kind of weird. I love podcasts, but I don't really like audiobooks. So usually I have a book in my hand, so mm-hmm. I can't do more than one thing. And I think that's part of what just led me to podcasts is I can get all this information and do something else at the same time. <laughs> it's so true. I mean, I listen when I walk or I'm driving. Yeah. It, it, you, it's I love it. It is. And yeah. it's a great resource for information. Like you said, there's such a variety yeah. of podcasts. Yeah, Absolutely. So what does a client do when they um, come to you? Like, how do you help people who have podcasts? Yeah, so I have kind of a variety of packages. So the reason my business is called Premier Podcast Promotions is I mostly started out working with people who already had a podcast. They're like, look, I've got this podcast. I have all this content. What do I do with it? And so I started out just helping them get the word out, out about it work on their social media presence, their online presence, because since there are so many podcasts out there, how do you get people to find yours? Yeah. So that's what I started with was helping people figure that out. Just find their niche and get connected with those people. And then it it just kind of grew from there. So now I I do the the whole gambit. I've helped about 10 people launch their podcast now. Great. I'm sure they have learned a lot about podcasting equipment, about recording distribution platforms, 
And so it's just kind of a matter of, okay, what do you want your podcast to be about? Who are you trying to talk to? How are we going to monetize? Just trying to put all these pieces together and help them figure out the best way to do it. And after I started doing that, I realized I liked working with other business owners because I want them to be able to start a podcast to support their business. That's great. And, you know, you are so needed in this industry and marketing, you know, you can have the idea, but then you need someone to help you bring it all together. And the marketing is so critical. So how you help marketing is, you know, tell us about that. I know you, the social media platforms, but is there something else that you do? Yeah. So I'm, again, it kind of varies client by client and what they need, but I do a lot of kind of guest reach out. So people that do interviews, I'll help them find new guests to be on their podcast to kind of help them expand their networking and group and reach more people. And I do a lot of email campaigns and stuff like that. So kind of all those ways that you can reach more people and get more eyes, I guess, more ears on your podcast. <laughs> I do a lot of that. And, um, well, I can just see your whole face just lights up when you talk about doing podcasts. And just for the audience who's listening, um, Jazzy has helped me as well. And I've spent some time working with Jazzy. And she's just, um, what I love about you is you have so much knowledge and expertise, but you come with a humility and a passion to help. Like, you're not the kind of person that just comes in and just tells you everything you need to do. Like, you just... You listen and you come out of humility with your knowledge and expertise and just help so many different people. So I just want to applaud your approach in your business and would encourage anyone who's even considering a podcast. There's a lot of people out there that they want to transition to that next thing in life. And yeah. I would highly recommend that you reach out and connect with Jazzy. Um, Thank how, you. How, how do people connect with you? Uh, so you can find me on most social media platforms. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. Uh, my website is premierpodcastpromotions.com. And if you want, I can give you the link to just my one-on-one -on -one Calendly. Let's talk about a podcast and you can throw that in your show notes. Yes. In fact, you know, make sure everyone checks out the show notes so you can get all of Jazzy's information. And I just would highly recommend that you connect with her. She's a wonderful resource. And I know she'll help you a lot. Is there anything else you'd love to share about the business? I know you I covered so. a lot. I think, I think you really <laughs> covered pretty much yeah. all of it. But yeah. what would you say about the podcast industry? Is it just exploding? Yeah, it's, it's, it's we're expected to have, it's going to keep growing. The amount of podcasts that are supposed to come out this year is supposed to be in the millions. And I think that's great. I'm, we will never run out of content and never run out of anything to hear, but it's just a matter of what sets you apart. How are you going to make your podcast successful? And yeah, I would love to have a conversation with anyone about any kind of podcast because I love them. <laughs> <laughs> You're you, you are just lit up talking about podcasts and I just love the transition that you have been through. There's so much you understand about life now. And I think you have this ability to really settle in and be at peace and listen and be a great resource. And I would just love to end today 
we know what about the podcast, but I know there's a lot of people that have been through what you've been through and maybe are still looking for what life is all about, or someone is really in the throes right now of really dealing with uh, tra- traumatic health issues. And yeah. I have this quote, and I think it's so beautiful. I'm going to need to write it down and just always keep it next to me. It's an unknown author, but the scars you share become the lighthouses for the people who are headed for the same rocks you hit. Oh, and I wow, think, I love is, that. Isn't it beautiful? I'll send it to you. Because, yeah. you know, we all have pains and things that we've experienced and someone else is going to come along and hit the same rock we did. Yeah. But we get the opportunity in life where we've allowed ourselves to be healed emotionally, spiritually, physically, to be that lighthouse to someone else. So just with that thought in mind, what would you share, Jazzy, with someone who could potentially experience what you've been through? Just take it one day at a time and remember you're not alone. You know, it, whoever that person is for you, find that person that you can talk to, that you can ask for a five minute phone call because nobody can go through a transition, any kind of transition mm-hmm. alone. Now that's, that's where we, we hurt ourselves more is when we try to do it ourselves and, you just, you can't do it yourself. You got to find someone to go through that with you, to be there for you. And if you don't have anyone, reach out to me. I, I will be there. I will help you and I will support you and encourage you because we all need that. That's so beautiful. And, and I, I believe every word that you said that you would be there for them because you understood community and you understood what would have happened if you were isolated. And you would not be here today if, you know, you remained isolated. And I know that you prayed a lot and there were a lot of prayers going up for you. Yes, absolutely. So please check out the show notes and get Jazzy's contact information. If you are considering a podcast, I highly recommend that you reach out to her and remember her story. Remember what she's been through, where so many times it just seemed hopeless How could there possibly be a good day ahead of me? Yet there were many, they were there. And so I I pray that you hear the heart of Jazzy's message to not lose hope, to reach out that you do have a purpose and it's not done. Even when the doctors say this may be your life, that was not true for her and it's not true for you. You can find hope in the midst of what it is that you're going through right now. So again, reach out to Jazzy. Um, If you you need a five-minute conversation to just let somebody know you're hurting, please do. Don't go through this alone. We're not meant to go through life alone. And especially in times of transition of loss, you need to hear a compassionate voice. You need to hear a voice of reason. You need to hear a voice of hope. So reach out. And I just appreciate all of you being here today. And remember, if you're in a place as well where you just want to move forward and you're struggling with maybe how do I process this next season in my life? I'm in the middle of a transition right now and I'm trying to figure that out. 
feel free uh, feel free to connect with me as well because I'd love to hear your story and help you discover the roots and the reasons and the obstacles that are preventing you from maybe moving into that new season that you're being called forth. Transition calls you forth and transition is speaking. And so if you want to hear more about that, reach out as well. So Jazzy, thank you so much. It was an honor to have you with me here today. I loved your story. I loved how you transitioned through these struggles. You navigated across that transition bridge and you found yourself on the other side with an amazing uh, business and purpose in your life. So thank you for being with me today. Debbie, thank you so much for having me. I love sharing my story just because I know someone out there needs to hear it and needs that encouragement because just like you said, you know, there's something for you. You just got to keep going, got to push through and get to the other side of that transition bridge. I'm glad that you were here. And when I heard your story, it was like, everyone needs to know. Everyone needs to hear what Jazzy has gone through and, and the ultimate breakthrough of courage that you brought to us today. So thank you so much, Jazzy. And I want to thank my audience for each and every week you come in to hear transition stories so that you can embrace them. You can grow and be transformed by them. Thank you for being with me today. Thank you for joining us today on the Transition Bridge Podcast. We appreciate you. If you enjoyed listening today, please go ahead and subscribe or review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to check out the show notes. And for more information about Debbie, go to debbieronka.com. That's D-E-B-I-R-O-N-C-A.com.